You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Come on, come on, go, go, come on. Welcome to How to Be More Chill version 3.0. This is Sam. This is Alana. And our first three episodes of How to Be More Chill were the story of how Be More Chill got to Broadway with Joe Iconis and George Salazar and Jennifer Ashley Tepper and Will Rowland and Joe Trace telling us that story. Version 2.0 was really uh, the experience of being on Broadway. Jason Tam, Lauren Marcus, Stephanie Hsu came on and really took us backstage behind the scenes, a day in the life of starring on Be More Chill on Broadway. And now we are dealing with How to Be More Chill 3.0, which is this time after a six month blockbuster run on Broadway leading up to dun dun dun. Be More Chill is going to London. Off West End, February 2020. So we wanted to have some episodes in this interim period with some of the people involved with the Off-Broadway and Broadway production sort of looking back and talking about their experience on the show. And then we're going to get some people involved with the London production and get their take on how their life is about to change forever. Welcome to Super Quantum Unit Intel Processor. You square. All right, for episode 12. I'm so excited this episode 12, by the way. That's a lot of episodes. Yeah. I'm proud of that. Yeah. Who do we have here today? Gerard Canonico, there I have a question for you. Yes. How often do people get your name right the first time at bat, and how often do they not? Uh, I'd say it's a solid, like, 2080 right and wrong. I mean, mostly wrong. I'm part of the 20? Yeah, you absolutely are. <laughs> you exist right there. Did anyone encourage you to change your name when you were starting out? You know, I think people told my parents that I should, and, like, I, they were just kind of like, no, why would we do that? They, they didn't really understand, like, why, I think, uh, uh, you know, it's not so complicated. It's not like Schwarzenegger, which he didn't have to change either. No, so I would not have thought that was the name that you were going to use, but that's uh, yeah. a perfect play. Because he was, I think he was told the same thing, and he was like, "No," and he defied no. so many odds. He's like a bodybuilder who became a movie star with Sam, a weird last name. And wanted, first of all, also, I'm obsessed yeah. with your parents, but we're going to get into oh, that wait. Later. Yes. But I have a question before we get into all things. Be more chill, yes. and having as Sam and I talk about obsessively like rich is in the house right now oh and we love you so much so, it's ridiculous and everything you. you did in every performance just charmed and ignited inspiration everyone who saw it but i have a quick question based on what you just said yeah. and then we'll get into like 
all things be more chill. Cool. Were you a child actor, and is that why your parents were involved in this question? I sure was. Yeah. Can you just tell us like a little about that? I'll tell you a lot about that if all you right. want to know. But um, uh, the shortened version is when I was younger. You know, like all kids do, you figure out what you want to do by trial and error a little bit. Uh, tried sports, and I was okay at it. I wasn't really so passionate about it, but I played enough sports to know that it was like, yeah, it's okay. Um, and a friend of mine was a model, like, when I was a kid. And I looked at it when I was a child, apparently, and I said, hey, that looks fun. Maybe I'll try that. And from there, it sort of just propelled and propelled. And I, uh, my parents, thank God, got me a manager. Uh, got me The manager got me an agent. Like, it became a whole thing. And it sort of happened within a month of being involved in auditioning. I booked a commercial. Uh, Burger King commercial, like a national network, really high paying uh, commercial that I had no idea, like the gravity of how cool that was. My parents uh, were starting to understand how cool that was. It was just such a weird thing. And then I auditioned for Les Miserables and did that for a year and a half. On how old were you when you did the commercial and when you did Les Mis? That was very close. So I was I was seven turning eight on my on the actual day I shot the commercial, on the night I shot the commercial. Uh, so it was my birthday, which was cool. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Extra yeah. fries yeah. for Gerard. Right. Yeah. Literally. It was with uh, animation, too, so I had to react to sort of nothing. It was a very weird exercise in acting for a child, um, especially because I wasn't, like, trained or anything. I just was really passionate about performing. And then Les Mis was an even weirder thing because I hadn't really sung publicly ever before. I just kind of uh, went in and auditioned, and they gave me material to come back, and like I did. And was it this the out. Broadway production? It was, yeah. It was. It, I auditioned for the tour, and then uh, didn't hear anything for like I don't know four to six months, something like that. And my parents got a phone call. They picked me up at school. She had like a. a, a a camera like a Kodak, and like took um, snaps of me when she told me the news that I booked Les Miserables on Broadway. And uh, she's like, yeah, they want you to go right past the tour. They want you to come to Broadway because the kid's leaving. And I was almost, I was trying to remember the show, you know, because at that point it was six months later. I was eight years old. I was like, uh, yeah, I think I remember auditioning for that. Cool, okay. And then uh, that night we watched the show, and I fell asleep. Uh, around the time Gavroche entered the play. So <laughs> it did nothing for me to sit That's there. Amazing. My parents watched it, though, and they liked it. So that And was that was the beginning, and you've never stopped. I've literally never looked back. They were terrified and um, excited for me all at the same time because they didn't know. You know, you drop your kid off at the theater uh, at whatever time the stage manager tells you, and then you go join a gym, and you come back and pick him up whenever he's done. And uh, if you can afford a ticket, then maybe you can watch the show. But there were no, like, free seats for parents. You can't hang out backstage. There was none of that. So they, my parents saw, like, every movie that came out between, like, 1999 and, like, 2000 and whatever. Because they were taking me into New York every single day. Um, Yeah. And, uh, you know, they didn't know if I was going to do a good job or, like, totally stall and forget my lyrics or forget anything. And for some reason, it just, I I took to it. And, uh yeah, I really I haven't stopped. It's been it's been a never ending journey. So so a, a brief bio intro to you is that was your first of six Broadway shows. That was my first of uh, five. Now I have five. Uh, Be more chill was your fifth. Broadway Be more show? chill was my fifth. Hopefully six is on the way. We'll see. Ooh. I don't want to you know make any rumors here, but hopefully we're always Ooh. hoping, right? Um, we really promote rumors on this good, show. Good, good. So just so you know, there, this is not a no rumors room. Okay, good. So feel free. The um, rumor that I think it is is also like the worst kept secret on Broadway. So yeah, it's so true. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's bad. Um, but that's a good thing. It though. is a good thing. And it's, you know what, it's exciting. It's like the best thing about this industry for me is the sort of unknown thing, which a lot of people find really freaky. I think I thrive on it. I get very bored in a regimented sort of thing, but I love a show schedule. But then it's like, how do I do other things outside of the show schedule mm-hmm. too to keep me uh, sort of entertained? And I'm, I'm very ADD, if you can't tell. So got to keep the brain sort of wrangled, you know? So today we have Gerard <laughs> five-time Broadway star. Hey. Uh, most recently as Rich himself in Broadway's Be More Chill. Oh, I almost yeah. called it How to Be More Chill, but that's the name of our show. Um, that is the podcast that is just about gushing over Gerard. Oh, man. That's Maybe really why we 12. created... The podcast. I mean, I also would love to have a podcast called How to Be Gerard Canonico because it's something I think about all the time. The grass is always greener, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So our favorite question to start with is when was the first time you encountered the concept of Joe Iconis' Be Marchell? Joe Iconis and Joe Trace's Be Marchell. The concept ever? Yeah. Um, I believe actually the first time I heard anything about it was uh, my audition. Because I hadn't really, uh, I knew about Joe. I had known about Joe for uh, years because a bunch of my friends were doing his concerts and I was very envious of them and I wanted to get to know Joe. Uh, So I got the initial audition for, I think the offer was for the two-week reading that then leads to the New Jersey production. So it was a nice contract and uh, that was exciting. It took place in New Jersey uh, Two River Theater, where I grew up, like 25 minutes north of there. So I was like, that would be really fun for everyone I grew up with, my family and stuff like that. Um, then I read the script, and I read the breakdown of the character, and I couldn't tell you, like, I, in that moment, I was like, if I don't book this role, I need to quit acting now, because I, I have not read a character that is more perfectly suited for everything that I can do. Do you remember any of the wording of the character description? Oh, yeah. The the bio said uh, five foot uh, if at the time it said five foot five inches of teenage uh, bully, and um, that was pretty much the description. There wasn't much to it because um, his story is so wacky that I think it was brilliant of them to not really give it away. Um, all the character descriptions were like that. They were sort of loose, but you, you sort of you sort of get this. Uh, you got enough hints that he was you know he was uh, he was cocky. He was confident. He's athletic. Um, there's nothing that really can stop him, but there is something inside him, obviously, that he keeps a secret. And so that was very exciting to me. Reading the script, couldn't put it down, instantly fell in love with the weird arc of this character. And uh, there was something so amazing about connecting to... I was on the New Jersey Transit, too. Like, everything was so kismet about it. I was like, I'm in New Jersey, reading this play that takes place in New Jersey, and they're going to do it in New Jersey. It's so meta. Yeah, it was wild. And everyone I lived with at the time, I lived in Harlem with two or three other actors, and we all were auditioning for different roles in Be More Chill. And so uh, I was, like, you know, helping one friend learn Jeremy, another friend learn Michael, and then they were helping me learn Rich. And so we were all waiting, you know, for our offers at the same time. So that was a little uncomfortable in the household, but it's okay. Because you we didn't all live with George Salazar and It's all good. I didn't Eric live with William George Morris, or Will. Or, yeah, no, but, um, <laughs> okay. but they're doing just fine, those guys I lived with. They're, they have a very good career. So Shout cool. out to them. Yeah, exactly. But that is another story. Exactly, it sure is. Um, so... You know, yeah, we, that was the first time. And the audition, you know, meeting, I, I met Joe at the audition and, and oh, all that. Okay. So it was like a very, uh, a very like cold, like, hello, nice to meet you. Here's what I can do for your play. And I, th- I guess Joe had like known or something, heard about who I am through the theater world. But mm-hmm. like, who, I don't know. There's like 
thousands of people that he could know. So I, don't, I, have, I have no idea if he had any idea who I was. I, I think there's so many stories about B. Marshall that involve that moment of sort of kismet, though. Like, yeah. Things just happened on that show in weird spiritual ways that, like, are sort of hard to understand. And, like, so many parts of that. It's but in retrospect, it all had to be that way. Oh, right? yeah. Like, yeah. like it's fascinating yeah. exactly in that way. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'm just curious. What was the show you had done? What was the show prior to Be More Chill that you had done last? Which one was that? Was that the possibly Groundhog Day? I think it was Groundhog Day, yeah. Um, that was Groundhog Day. <laughs> it was a show that was originally in uh, the UK, and they brought it over here, and I had uh, no idea what I was getting myself into with that one, to be honest. That was one of those uh, came-out-of-nowhere jobs. Um, I was actually working off-Broadway in Dear Evan Hansen at the time. I was the cover for Ben and Will and Mike Feist. Forever Will Roland's understudy right yes. here. Just, uh, But I was hanging out he with those guys. He talked about that with so much love Did when he? he was on the show. Of course. I'm so glad. No, it's actually, yeah, he's that's a whole other thing. Will, Will's been great to work with in both productions. Like We've become such fast friends thanks to both of those shows. But I was pretty comfy there, you know. Uh, I, they had asked me to go to Broadway with it as the, as the cover. And I was like, cool with that. Um, and then I auditioned for Groundhog Day and I was like, what is this? Another movie musical. Okay. And I went in and I remember not being, and this is like, you know, no shade to the actual show itself because I ended up really loving it. Um, I just wasn't invested in it. My heart wasn't in it. And that's hard for me to do. It's hard for me to connect to pieces unless I'm really like trying to, um, I'm not just like trying to always do a, a Broadway show, you right. know what I mean? And so to me, this felt very much like, all right, clocking in, putting in the hours, um, which was kind of a bummer because I really enjoy what I do and I take a lot of pride in what I do. So to feel like you're going to your job, you know, it was kind of a shame. But um, yeah, it sort of all happened. I auditioned, they liked me. Uh, me and this other girl that I was paired up with because we were supposed to be engaged in the show, um, we auditioned close to each other. And so I guess they saw me and they saw her and they were like, that's it. We found those two. We don't need to audition anybody else for those parts. And uh, then they had me come in for a tap call and I've never tapped before in my life. Uh, I had to call my friend Alex Boniello and use his tap shoes. Uh, they were a size too small for my feet. And um, I remember <laughs> Carnahan and Jillian, uh, Carnahan Casting and Jillian Samini, Jillian especially, I was like, Jillian, what are you doing calling me in for this tap thing? You know I don't tap. Like, this is crazy. I'm going to embarrass myself. She's like, trust me, Gerard. You have to come in. Trust me, Gerard. Just come in with tap shoes. You got to do it. Um, so I think it was a little nudge, nudge. You're, you're, you got a good shot at getting this, pal. So I was like, okay, I might as well. 
And those and turned out to be Connor Murphy's tap shoes. It ended up being Connor Murphy's by tap the shoes. Way. <laughs> exactly. Side note. They're still in my closet, too. He hasn't needed them, I guess. Bronze so. them. Just yeah. bronze them. I have to give them back to him. You know, if he's nope. trying to break that edgy mold, you know, I got to yeah. get him his tap shoes. He can do some 42nd Street. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even pretend like I know what shows have tap in them. That's how little knowledge I have. I also I love going terrified. from Connor Murphy to a tap dancing extravaganza. <laughs> <laughs> With Alex Mariello. Yeah. Oh, he'll love them talking about him so much, too. He's going to love that. Um, well, he's a, a, a giant friend of the show. We he, love him. We hold him close. In our so you too. were in ground. I only ask because it's always interesting to me, sort of your head is in one space, and yeah. then you have to shift gears, whether you've just finished the show or when you're in one show and auditioning for another one. It's such a liberating feeling. Oh, it's great. To yeah. sort of move into this whole other direction. Yeah. And... And be more chill and Groundhog Day could not be more different. They live so in, on the same planet of musical theater, yeah. but such different shows yeah. and I such a different kind of writing. I think it was actually more exhausting to do Groundhog Day for a plethora of reasons. Uh, one being, you know, I'm sure you can relate, like being chipper all the time in a show is actually way more draining than drawing that deep, dark, emotional, sad thing, I think. Because uh, you just have to be up and bubbly, and and, and you can't fake that because it's it's gonna read as fake. And in Groundhog Day, they instilled that in us. It was mm-hmm. like you can't you can't half-ass anything. You have right. to really go for it when you're making these shapes. You are pushing as you're much as you can. You're entering at that level exactly. And it, and so honestly, living at that height of like yeah, everything's great. Like I was jazzed on Groundhog Day. It made my actual life sort of hard to manage because I, my energy was so drained. I was just like incapable. I was kind of like I didn't want to. I didn't uh, much like be more chill. A level of exhaustion. I didn't. I couldn't socialize with people after the show. So it was hard for me to do the stage door. It was hard for me to like really put myself in a public place after that show because I used so much positive energy for like two and a half hours. But it seems like what's so amazing about be more chill is even if you couldn't do stuff outside of work that group of people that became a family, you could have your social life and work at the same time, which is such a rare gift to feel that way. Yet we digress. Mm -hmm. I believe my partner Sam's asked you about how did you become a member of the Iconist tribe? And you started to tell us. I I would also love to hear a little bit more about like your experience at the True River Theater. Yeah. Oh, sure. A good question ask that I, I love to ask is like, did you have a sense during the True River production of how big this might be one day? Oh, God, no. Absolutely not. Um, I'm, uh, honestly, I thought, yeah, we could probably get this off-Broadway for a little while, somewhere, somewhere cute, like intimate, maybe make it like another little shop of horrors, kind of like culty thing. Yeah. I had absolutely no idea uh, that it could blow up to what it was blown up to be. Did you have to re-audition for True River after you was the workshop that you did a two river workshop the it very was, first yeah. thing yeah that was so you don't have to re audition when it's going to be a production I did not okay I did not I uh, luckily so yeah that's how I'm so to to answer your other question Sam I when I auditioned for the show I met Joe there and everyone was very friendly which is first of all. I'm sure you've heard from every actor that's on this podcast is a rarity in an audition. People don't act like people. They act sort of like robot versions of themselves. Um, It's kind of my least favorite thing when I see friends sitting behind the table and they're not really acting casual or helping me feel better about the room. So to walk into a room full of mostly, if not all, strangers who made me feel instantly comfortable was like 
the coolest vibe in the world. And I think that had a lot to do with the precedent that Joe's setting and the people that he's working with and Stephen Brackett. Um, Cause Stephen Brackett, our director came from around the table when I entered the room and shook my hand and thanked me for my time for being there before I even did anything. I mean, I could have absolutely butchered that audition or something. He had no idea, but he was like so happy that I was there. He made me feel welcome. And so I gave them a good audition, you know, and I think that's a huge part of a success to an actor in a room. And I don't know why people don't do that more often. They want to like give you as much challenge as possible, but never got any of that from Joe or from anybody like that. So right after booking that, working with Joe on the workshop, the, the I guess it was a reading technically, that's where we really developed the character, the song, the squip song itself um, took on a whole new life there. Cause the only, the only thing I had heard from the squip song, which was my song was a MIDI file of Joe playing piano and singing the song like Joe does. Right. And it was like, you know, it's sort of, it's kind of speak singy. And so if you're not looking at sheet music, you're kind of like, what is this song? And it's just a piano. And it was very confusing to understand the vibe of the tune. But for some reason, I understood it. It was like something happened when I heard that tune. I was like, oh, I get it. I get what this guy's trying to do, what he's trying to say. I know what this is going to sound like. I think I heard it a little bit more rock and roll than it ended up being, which I found a really cool surprise for the uh, actual um, hearing the band for the first time. Uh, But it was just like his collaboration uh, efforts are enormous, and it is what makes his shows so successful, and I think what makes his characters in his shows so individual. Because like I got to sit there with the Squip song and do whatever I wanted to it, pretty much. Yeah. And I felt like that scream thing. I talk about it all the time, but it's huge for me in my career that like a uh, composer let me just like screw around a little bit. And I, this happened uh, by accident. I was just messing around and I happened to scream the words, it's from Japan instead, because I thought it was going to be funny. And I thought everyone's just going to laugh at it. And they're like, okay, Gerard, right, yeah, so just do what's written, because that's usually what happens. And uh, instead he was like, oh, I really like that. You should do that. I was like, okay, I'll think about it. Did it a couple more times. He's like, why haven't you done it again? Do it again. I was like, okay, okay. Did it one more time, went home, came back the next day. It was in print. So now I have to do it, <laughs> right? Now and it's vocally, like, were you scared of that, what uh, that would mean? I guess so, but I also didn't understand the gravity of how long I'd have to do the song. <laughs> exactly. i got to be honest with you. Like, the whole musical, I did not understand I would be doing it five years later. I mean, right. give me a break. <laughs> give me a break. It's, I've never done anything like that in my life. And You're like, so, remember that melodic way yeah. they were, you were thinking of? Yeah. That seems great. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, it's so, you take it down a few yeah. steps. It's so funny you're saying this because the thing that stood out to me the most from the Stephen Brackett interview, because he told us all about the London auditions, mm-hmm. and he really kind of went in deep for a minute or two about the rich auditions, how, mm-hmm. like... I don't know if it's a combination of like what you have, uh, th- like the story you just told, your writing, or, or a combination of all of it. He is like, you have to audition people who can do a lot of things, yep. and especially, most importantly, sustain throughout that song. Yeah, it's a long song. It's deceivingly it's a, hard. It's a really <laughs> hard song, yeah. and I didn't re- even me, you know, who saw the show eight times a week for six months, still didn't grasp that. 
because you make it look so effortless. Oh, thank you. Uh, but then hearing Stephen explain that about the interview process, he was like, you know, we, we couldn't even audition people for original unless we knew they could sustain for eight minutes. And it's like, who can even do that? Like, wow. that knocks out half of your oh. people automatically. Well, they luckily did find someone, thank God. Yeah. Uh, I want to see it. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to, but, you know, maybe they'll extend or something. Who knows? But that, I will uh, say, that speaking, mark has been left on. There. Speaking mm-hmm. on Rich, though, it's he's that character for me that brought everything. He, uh, to me, it's like <laughs> I almost feel like everyone's like you're working that you're working that. It didn't feel it didn't it, none of it felt like work for for a second. It felt like a collaboration between uh, actor and character, and just a mutual understanding of what has to happen. Like behind the scenes, what's on the page, um, it all sort of flowed, and the the. What I loved, what was so exciting about it was that this character actually, he's like, his story is really, really dark. In a story that is sort of sci-fi, you know, fun, whatever it is, they, I mean, this kid could have killed himself, essentially, and uh, he didn't, luckily, but he was pretty close to doing that. And uh, that's a pretty terrifying topic to discuss, so it was a really exciting thing to be the one guy who loses his mind essentially before anyone else does in the show to be the one guy that's a little bit off the rails to be the one guy who's like a little bit more advanced on the pill than everyone else. And so therefore he's freaking out. It's so it, I just to like live in my own world allowed me to then like, I don't know. It was it just like sort of happened. There was no, it was almost less work and just play. It was so much play. And the five years of working on the musical certainly allowed for the play to happen. Um, Luckily, the dancing went down a little bit, but uh, it used to be really out of control. Scream more, dance less. Exactly. That yeah. is park and bark, baby. <laughs> you know, park and bark is that but a the thing? Scream, the scream, remarkably, is not the hardest part uh, to me. Well, um, if you're trained, sure, yeah. And like, luckily, we did have really great vocal coaches that we worked with. Like um, working with Amanda Flynn on "Be More Chill" was like incredible. Because I, you know, I'm a human. I did lose my voice a couple times. Had to do the old like visit to the ENT, um, but really the person who helped me was Amanda. She gave me the the tricks so when you're doing the show and you don't have a voice, how to activate your voice again and how to get it back if you're starting to feel like you're losing it in the middle of a song. Tricks like chew gum to keep saliva active in your mouth. I mean, it's literally these little t- kinds of tricks you learn. Would you uh, hide gum? On the stage? No, no. I mean, we had backstage areas for stuff. Um, I I would have gum sometimes, but like I wouldn't really have to. Once again, I wouldn't have to hide that I'm chewing gum, right? Because Rich, Rich would chew totally gum. chew gum with yeah. his mouth open and yeah. talk to a teacher. You know, it's like the amount of things I could get away with were endless, which was very exciting and it made the job really fun. Can I tell you what's so great about this? Well, everything is so great about this. But be more chill is going to be done for, you know, hundreds of years. And it's going to get to be done in schools, too, and people who aren't as well-trained as professionals. And they're going to want to do the show the way they've heard it on the cast recording. And they're going to want to honor Rich. And even just knowing guys who are doing it, gum and all these different things that can literally save your vocal cords. Um, These are really any of those little things that you can pepper into the conversation because a lot of kids are going to do the show. Yeah. And, and that is I a mean, challenging part. All the parts are really difficult. i got to be honest. I mean, even just covering uh, Jeremy, too, just the stamina for his stuff is wild. Um, he does spend a lot of the show, you know, reacting, which is uh, deceivingly difficult because um, you do have to help the audience see the action that, that 
you want them to see because they're watching through the lead actor. I mean, that's who they're watching. Right. Um, and then he has to sing his humongous song at the end of Act One, which was built for his voice too. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. When I would sing the song that was written for Will Rowland, it didn't feel like when I was singing the Squip song because that we worked on so many times and it was so in my body and now suddenly I'm singing a song written for someone else and it was so clear to me in that moment like wow this stuff is so individual it is absolutely wild and I still don't know how Will held that note at the end of Loser Geek whatever without having to take a breath every single night he did the same thing so it's like you think I have the stamina? I I was sitting there wowed by his stamina. So there's always something that was like pushing me to. The- I wonder if we did an MRI if his lungs are like the size. Of oh, I'm like, sure. He's like this. Like- his technique is ridiculous. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about going on for Jeremy that first time? Because it was such oh, yeah. a, a big, exciting day for me. I, I don't know if you even know this, but like you were your first Jeremy was at the end of my week vacation, and normally anyone at any job wants to push vacation to the last minute. And I got back and was like, I don't have to be at work until Tuesday, <laughs> but I am dying to see Gerard play oh. Jeremy. And so I like cut my vacation short and like came into work. Was it like the that Sunday matinee before you had to be Because it was a Sunday, right? Was the first It was Monday. either a Sunday or a Saturday. I think it was, Some, it was a weekend. Yeah, it was something where like I cut my vacation short because I was like, I'm not missing this. And I lived so my best life watching oh. you perform the role is so oh. exciting God. because, you know, it's a very different take. It was wild. Yeah, that was a wild time. I I love Jeremy. I love that character. Uh, I think the coolest thing about him was that you get to pretty much do everything. You get to kind of hit every every arc, every every kind of I mean, Jeremy's not point. off stage for all of Act 1 mostly. At all. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a point where um, one of the shows I went on, and uh, I sweat out my microphone in the middle of a two-player game. And you have to stay on stage. I think I th- I'm on stage until like almost the end of Act 1 at that point. So there's no way that I can do the rest of the act the way I sound. Because it was just so muffled and so bad. Um, Did uh, you know that? Could oh, you yeah. hear it? I could hear it because it was so severe. But mm-hmm. sometimes you can't. I mean, right. you weren't getting vocals on stage. Which I don't understand, and maybe someone listening to this podcast will be able to explain it someday, why uh, certain venues can have sound with vocals on the stage, but Broadway theaters still have not figured out how to hone that in. It would be very helpful to hear yourself, so you do know when problems are like, like that yeah. are happening. Make a note, we gotta get sound. Yeah, exactly, sound. Get, yeah. get some questions. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Ronan? Exactly, call up Ronan. Well, Ronan might even uh, know how to do it. I think he probably even did that. I'm trying to think back to my American Idiot days, because that show was so loud, and we could hear pretty well, so I'm sure there's a way around it. But uh, I digress. What was I talking about? Jeremy. Uh, yeah, Jeremy. Um, uh, what was wild about that was the guy who came out who played uh, the scary stock boy was Joel Wagner at the time because um, uh, Sweet Tooth was not there. And <laughs> I didn't know, but Joel was told by the sound department to take the, um, the, the, you know, the thing to blow the air on the microphone and to blow air on my microphone. It's a gigantic you know, duster-looking thing. And he had it in his jacket hidden, and I didn't know what it was. So he comes in, he looks at me weird, we do the first couple lines, and I can see that he's holding something, and I'm like, oh boy. And he pulls out his hand, and he's holding this can of air, and, I'll, and he's like basically showing it to me like, I'm about to do this. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And he sprayed my microphone on the stage, like in front of the audience, during the scene, halted the scene completely, and didn't just spray it once. He sprayed me like seven or eight times. Because I guess the sound department told him, like, and Gerard's going to fight you, but don't Spray stop. Yeah. It's like talking about, like, a wild animal or something. Did he might fight this? back. Yeah. What and, did um, it look like? 
music to the audience. Did you understand what was happening the way he experienced it? No, I think the audience was just like, something crazy is happening. (laughs) I can't quite figure out what. The audience just thought it was some weird bit because his character is so strange. So that was good. But for me, it was like, I knew why he was doing it. But as Jeremy... I can't just stand there and let you blow air on my face. So it was like this game of push and pull. Like I was pulling away from him, but I'd let him spray for a little while. And be like, oh, stop it. No, but don't stop it. But stop it. No, don't stop it. It was wild. And then we took a beat and uh, carried on with the scene as if nothing happened. That's amazing. <laughs> it was and absolutely incredible. George please go and to George Salazar was dying in the scene laughing, with me. Right? Yeah, he of had course. to turn fully upstage. <laughs> turn fully upstage. Sure, really helpful. It was great. <laughs> I love that. Oh, but thank God he was there with me. Thank God George yeah. was there with me. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know who to react right to. I couldn't react to Joel, so I would just turn to George, and then George was almost losing his mind. He was turning, like, beet red. Oh, God, it was a great memory. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But- the, the thing that burns, the question that burns in my mind too is like, I, I was watching your Jeremy. <laughs> And of course, the opening number, I'm like, wow, this is so different. It's right playing it. Wow, it's so exciting. And then, like, it gets so weird when all of a sudden the, the bathroom scene happens. Because yeah. then it's like, wait, what? 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 Like, I've only ever seen someone play, uh, I've only ever seen Gerard play Rich. And all of a sudden, he's Jeremy talking to this Rich. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so weird. I mean, are you thinking about that at all? Or are you just so focused on Jeremy and. I, I I am. It's hard not to think about it right. when I mean, you when you, you know sing lines. that song yeah. every day for years. But I think the coolest thing was like, um, I believe the first person that did it with me was Troy, and Troy is just absolutely fantastic. And what I really appreciated about what he brought to each role that he did was that he really did bring himself to it. I mean, all of our swings really did that. Um, and so watching him do it helped me not compare it so much to me. Because he was just so totally different. Yeah. And um, he did things that took me by surprise. And so at first I was like, oh, man, I'm going to have to sit here and you're going to be singing your song at me and singing my song at (laughs) me. And it's going to be very uncomfortable for you, I'm sure, because I'm just going to be standing here looking at you sing my song. Um, But he was so committed and so good. And it actually helped me get lost in the moment a lot. And then, uh, you know, once you're at that point in the show – you're so like you're such a shell of yourself as Jeremy. Um, that that's exhilarating, by the way. That first uh, more than survive um, interaction uh, with everyone in the company. By the end of that, it, there's no way to not feel like this. You know, completely isolated sort of incel of a like waste. You know, it's like it totally. It was so wild to feel that. You know, because it really catapults you to a different place at that in time. As Rich at that point in the show. I am flying high. I am happy. I am good. By the time we get to I Love Play Rehearsal, I'm like, yeah. This time, I'm sitting there during I Love Play Rehearsal with like all these negative, awful, stressful, anxious feelings, and then I have Stephanie Shu trying to be cute at me, and it's like, you know, you're you're literally living the story, and it was wild that um, I could see the show from that perspective after having been in it for 
I don't know, four years, something like that. Have uh, you ever seen the wild. show? Were you ever like on vocal rest so you couldn't be in it and then you're watching it? I other never, than tech rehearsal where you're all watching each other from right. the house. But No, I never did uh I never was on vocal rest for anything, but I was the dance captain off Broadway and for Two River, so they swung me out off Broadway to watch it once. I never saw the Broadway show though. Right. So you've seen it once. Seen it once. Yeah. In total. I saw it once in total. I saw Troy go on off mm-hmm. Broadway. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I had a great time. I mean, mostly I had to note the show, so I wasn't really watching for um, the thrill of it, but it's hard not to get wrapped up in it. I definitely missed some notes that day because I was just watching the performances instead. And it was great, too, because, I don't know, I've known these people for so long, for so many years, you know, and I remember... I tell um, I tell Katie Carlson this all the time because specifically it has to do with her. But I remember when she walked into the room the first day at Shetler Studios for the reading of Be More Chill. Because she's like, like me, she was there day one. And um, she came in with this ridiculous like cat dress. It had like cats all over it. She's a huge cat fan. Um, and uh, it was adorable and like totally outlandish and loud and like wonderful. And she comes in. She has all of these beats prepared. She's got the she's got this character developed. And I remember just being so impressed by her level of commitment. And I've also like never I'd never met this person. I'd never heard of her before in the musical theater world. And yet here she is in this brand new show. And then I'm watching her off Broadway with this character that like she already had such a foundation for on day one. And just how much it blossomed, especially in that first number. There were so many things that she was doing in particular that I was really I just couldn't take my eyes off of her. And I was like watching a whole new show um and little by little i was realizing those things about everybody and it was really cool like you know you're watching your friends up there just absolutely annihilating the show in the best possible way and then you're like i get to do this later with them that's pretty cool that's a pretty fun feeling we talk a lot about sort of the two river audience which is more a glorious audience that's perhaps more subscription based and maybe not what ended up to be the be more chill audience right. in terms of demographic. Yeah. Um, so how amazing to kind of work out a show in front of people who aren't exactly living it in their own lives, yeah. but appreciating it for sure. Um, and then you get to New York and suddenly you are in front of the people that relate to it the most, who in some ways demanded it happen more for yeah. them. And I know, I mean, we've all seen the video of when you guys found out from from off-Broadway to Broadway that oh, that yeah. was happening. But even just if you can talk to us what it was like to finally take this thing with your friends that you love, that you know works in yeah. some beautiful way, and then have it be in New York City, yeah. and just being consumed and devoured by these fans that are like loving it oh, and it was, waiting for you. It's wild. I mean it's it, it was uh, it's life changing. It was completely eye opening to not only see that the numbers on my phone of my followers were like actual human beings, but how how devoted they were to the show. I mean, our first preview off Broadway was one of the wildest things cuz it was a sea of be more chill cosplay. I mean, almost every person in that audience. Like, is this Broadway con or is this our show? Almost every single person was dressed up. And, you know, it was uh, a lot of people like to dress up as rich. And so that was so exciting. (laughs) They still do. Yeah. It's the best. And, like, anytime I would add, like, a new costume piece or a thing or whatever, 
there was always like, you know, some fan would catch it. So like during previews, you know, you're trying out a bandana or something like that and a fan will catch it. Sure enough, they'll come back the next day with their new cosplay item that they just made, which is a bandana. And it was like, I've, I don't think I've ever been that much of a fan of something that I've committed to that level, but I admire it so much because I feel that. I've been a fan where I feel that level of commitment to something, but I've never like, you know, I'm a huge music fan, but I didn't go dressed as the bands. Right. You know, it's like, that's a, that's a totally different level of commitment, I think, to like feeling like this character represents so much of them. And that was something that I, we got to see. It wasn't just like a show and like, oh, I like that song. It was like, this kid's me. Rich is me. I would, I would do this. I would want to get this pill too because like, you know, I don't know what the spoiler alert is here for the character, but you know, he like Jeremy was a nerd and the pill, the squip helped him and he became this, like what he thought was the best version of himself, but really it made him into this like gigantic douche. Um, <laughs> in the, but you know, everybody's got to learn stuff the hard way. And I think ultimately turned him around for good, but like, that's, that's a real human story, man. Like, Wanting to take a drug to not feel like yourself, that's a huge thing that you can relate to. That was a huge talking point, too. Like, what does this squip represent? Does it represent, are we talking about prescription drugs? Are we talking about an actual AI? Like, are we, what, are, what is the conversation about? And I think it's about all of those things. What was it for you, ultimately? Um, for me, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like a prescription drug thing, but it was like putting on a mask. Um, when I was growing up, it was hard to like, I think I was really naive as a kid cause I did theater and I was doing it so successfully here to then go to school as like a nine year old uh, with other nine year olds who didn't understand what I did. And I would try to be like, you know, I would just like sing a song I liked and then, you know, you get made fun of all day and like your life is made into a living hell. And so eventually you turn into what you think people want you to be, um, and I started to like lose touch with myself a little bit in high school. I started to find a, a, a different crowd to hang out with, you know, like we all do. Um, and with that, I found aspects of myself that I've held on to, like the music scene, um, very, very much into the uh, punk rock scene and stuff like that. Um, but you can be into that and also make like good life decisions and not have to change who you are. Uh, so I think it was an interesting time for me growing up to, to discover who I am with this, you know, huge job this gigantic thing that I am sort of embarrassed by in my everyday life. Uh, and I relate to, you know, you have to protect yourself. I had to protect myself. I was picked on heavily in school, uh, physically, emotionally, all kinds of things, you name it. Uh, so I, yeah, if I could take a pill that would turn me into like a little buff, like who gives a shit attitude, don't mess with me kind of guy at that age, I probably would have done that too. Interesting. Who would you say, uh, you know, is your squip? And people interpret that question different ways, but who, who is Gerard Canonico's squip? Uh, I think it still holds true, man. When I did the show, it was Robert Downey Jr., and I still think it is. And uh, the reason I think so is because, like, uh, I, I really dig his story. I think him having had has his, like, issues so public – and then sort of coming back from all of that and creating this like dynasty of himself is something that's very admirable. It's sort of like you get all these chances in life and it's what you do with them as opposed to just, you know, being defined by one thing. And also like, dude, I've seen Iron Man. Like I would take his advice. I would take Tony Stark's advice. And there's a little bit, I, there's Robert Downey Jr. in there. You know what I mean? 
Um, as a gift for opening night, a friend of mine sent me a cardboard cutout of Robert Downey Jr., a life-size cardboard cutout that lived in my dressing room for the entire run and scared me half to death most of the time because it just hid behind my door. <laughs> and so every time I would like close the door, he'd be standing there, and I would forget all the time. But uh, he was always with me, helped me do my shows. I owe it to, to, to Robert Downey Jr., to RDJ. To RDJ. It's all is that is that giant cutout like living in your home right now, or after <laughs> the show is over, you were like, it's time to no, let I it go. Pa- I passed it. I actually left it at the uh, at the theater. At the Lyceum. I left, I left it at the Lyceum. Oh my gosh, where is it? Do you know where it is? I Sam? think it might. I, I mean, think I'm they like, might have moved it with the Oh Hello guys that are over on oh. the stage stage right. I'm sure Unless a lot of a Christmas Carol cast members saw that right before going on stage yeah. and helped it him became like him a the touchstone. character. Yes. Well, it was there. It was in my hallway, it was, <laughs> and it scared the uh, the dressers who were cleaning out the the dressing rooms. I got a text message from my dresser. It was like I was coming out of the dressing room, and I found this right outside as I came out, and scared me half to death because I just left it in the hallway, standing there. Can I ask you? But I mean, it's not like you did it yesterday. But did you have pre-show rituals other than being scared by? <laughs> RDJ, what were things like? Did you have talisman or touchstones, or what are things that you use to get ready for Rich? I every show is different for me, and uh, depending on my mood and, and whatever like this. But uh, for Rich, I needed to definitely be energetic, and I needed to be on. So in terms of actual physical things, I needed uh, definitely caffeine. So I needed to get uh, some sort of tea or coffee uh, in me for sure. Um, I needed at least. 10 to 15 minutes, uh, door completely closed, nobody in my room. And I would put on some like loud music and I would probably just like exist in that while I did my hair. Uh, and that sort of helped zen me out and get me into this like sort of like, I don't know, positive you got this sort of mode. I didn't really like being bothered uh, after half hour during the show, which is not usually something that I can say for most shows. But uh, for you some mean reason. Generally, you can be social and hang out yeah. with your compadres. But yeah. yeah. Certain shows I can't. Like Spring Awakening was another one. I didn't want to be bothered by people because playing Moritz was such a demanding and isolated character. So once again, I wanted to like uh, put myself there. I couldn't be like socializing and happy and smiling and then go on stage and, you know, be the kid that's about to, you know, off himself. So um, trying to create that sort of strict thing because I am a very social person. It's very hard for me to not be. Because so that was actually, part of the discipline yes, of the Yes, isolating myself there was was totally necessary. Even just getting my hair extensions in was like, I got that done almost right away at the top of half hour so I can get that done, get downstairs, and like do my thing. Um, we didn't get changed in our dressing rooms, so everything was like sort of like, you know, underwear, socks, robe, uh, hair prep, which was kind of great because if you're done with your hair prep, then you just have time to do whatever it is that you wanted to do. Uh, I, I definitely had, uh, my CBD oils and things like this. And I had, um, diffusers and stuff in my dressing room to help, to help like smells. They help me get very grounded. I like smells a lot. Um, but nothing like too ritually, just, uh, more whatever I need for the day. Uh, if I haven't gotten that much sleep or if my voice is tired, you know, what am I doing to help my voice? Uh, I'll probably like try and scream some songs for that show. Like I would, I would definitely scream some rock songs and see where my voice is at. Because, like, let's be real, doing scales and stuff is not going to really benefit me for the type of singing I was going to do. I just wanted to see if I had the notes. I wanted to see if I could access it, how I could access it. And if I didn't have it at that point, a little too late. Yeah. But So you got to figure out then, okay, now what do I do for this matinee or whatever it is? Um, 
and uh, yeah, I guess like the most ritualistic thing was to isolation because then I can get down there, get on deck. And I always started the show on the same side with the same people. It was always with Lauren, Marcus, and Stephanie Shu since Two River Theater. So if I had to start anything in my life, I would like to be on deck with Stephanie Shu and Lauren Marcus. Right. It was not bad. It was not a bad way to start. And we'd all get dressed together in like, you know, in the same little communal area with our dressers. And it was kind of a lovely way. I'd probably get down to deck around like five or ten, ten to five. And then, um, uh, get ready enough so I can like say hey to the band because at that point I'm there everybody's around time to be social and at that point I'm also more in my headspace for the show I'm not the Gerard who walked in the door yeah. who had all these anxieties from his life I actually have no anxieties I'm about to go to school as Rich Gransky is how I want to feel Fully obviously squipped. I'm obviously yeah. I'm Gerard you know I'm not like I'm not super method or anything like this but I definitely find aspects of it helpful for certain characters, especially to not make them ridiculous because Rich could easily become a very ridiculous character. A caricature. Yes, absolutely. And so it was very important to me to keep him grounded and real. Um, It was the, the, that was the scariest thing for me to watch other people do it is to just say like, just, just the hope that they will keep the grounded and realness. Cause yes, the things I'm doing are sporadic. The things I'm doing are kind of crazy. And uh, I do a lot of fast movements or whatever, but they're all based in something that means something to me. It's not just because I'm trying to be crazy. Yeah, you and know? jittery and kooky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. usually all based in, 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 a, in a fact or a truth. Um, I was also always so impressed with how much of an outside life in terms of performing you had during the run of that show. <laughs> like to the point where at first people were concerned. a producer of a show, <laughs> I was like, what is he doing? Like he's mm-hmm. performing three rock concerts after the in the middle band? of a show weekend. Um, I, have, I play with a bunch of bands, but the two that I primarily play with are the Dude Ranch, which I'm about to go on tour with tomorrow. It's a Blink-182 tribute band. Uh, and we tour pretty much, we, we go south, we've been on the west coast, uh, we've been doing it for a few years now, and it's really fun, it's pretty it's pretty lucrative now, it's like we make some good money, which is wild. Um, in terms of musicianship, I guess this, this is called selling out, but... Uh, Congratulations! Thank you, I've That's sold out. That's when you out. know you've made it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so consider me uh, selling out with that band, and the other band I play with is called Imperial Cities, it's like a... Um, like a live request band. Uh, we used to play at this place called Haswell Greens a lot. Now we play pretty much anywhere. We still play at Haswell, but it was pretty much every uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night after the show. Uh, I think that's from, what Sam was referring to in yeah. terms of concern. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. From like 11 to 2. But I got to tell you, Alana, every Saturday matinee, every Sunday matinee, whenever it was, he would walk on that stage and it was this, as if he had slept for 12 hours the night before and was the most rested, ready-to-go person I'd ever seen, vocally, mentally, performance-wise. And eventually the concern stopped because I was like, he's pulling it off without... If I didn't know, I wouldn't even be concerned. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I know... A, I, it's the thing I run into a lot, especially recently, because I am a musician. I mean, I've been a musician my whole life, and being a singer is obviously being a musician, but um, in instrumental music, my dad was an instrumental music teacher. Uh, I was in band when I was a kid. I played snare drum. I was hugely invested in music. It's all I wanted to do was music, music, music. And so like, theater happened and sort of derailed my playing, um, and I continued to do it under the radar, but I never got paid to do it. I never had gigs. I never had bands. And so, you know, as we do in our lives, we get our extracurriculars, we get our things that keep us sane while we're doing our jobs. And that's what music has always been. And now I'm playing in these bands 
And, you know, it's it's a job. I'm trying to keep the gig. And I got this band gig, and it was happening before I was doing Be More Chill, and then Be More Chill happened at the same time. Like, well, let's see if I can balance both, because if I can, that would be hugely great for me, because I just, I love what I do. I don't want to lose the opportunity if it's right there, right? Um, however, I do have to look at what uh, my responsibilities are for, for uh, my job and for the bands that I'm playing with because if I do show up to be more chill every weekend and I don't have a voice because I'm out playing music then I absolutely have to stop playing music with those bands because be more chill was the priority right um, because that wasn't happening I didn't really have to stop but that happens that that was a learning thing for me I didn't really know uh, I was still I was like yeah I think I could do this because I really like my voice I don't know why or how but um I've never had to be super precious with it to always have it, um, which is a gift and a curse for sure because I've taken advantage of it in my life and I pay for it. But, you know, we we all make mistakes and we learn from them. Uh, Now it's about just maintaining uh, and making it as as good as it can be every single day. But, you know, in terms of like... Uh, sorry, I'm rambling again, guys. No, we love this. this uh, is yeah, and, yeah, I don't. I, I, I just, I'm not. I'm not like super precious, so I don't understand. Like, I've never, I've never had the like. The only time I had vocal damage was when I was 12, and I had uh, nodes because I was singing outside of my my vocal range because it was changing while I was doing a musical. So like, I was still singing high D's full voice while my voice was turning into like wow. a man's voice. While puberty it was happening. Exactly. So I got nodes naturally because I wasn't singing properly and I was pushing and singing every single night. And so it freaked me out, but I could at least, I knew what it was. It wasn't just like, oh, you're singing too much, which is like the worst thing you can be told as a singer. You're singing too much. Well, how, how am I going to know what's too much? Um, for me, I can tell when it's too much. I guess it's about like six or seven hours of straight singing so far has, has done it to me because uh, by the end of a Haswell night, uh, by the end of a, an Imperial Cities gig after a two-show day, um, <laughs> I'm pretty spent. But Me as a producer sitting at home going, I know. watching your Instagram stories at 3 a.m. and you're still <laughs> belting out notes. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. But and then he shows up next day. I'm totally ready to go. Drink water, you know? Water's great. <laughs> I drink a lot of water. Right, it's kind of incredible. and Amanda Flynn and Amanda Flynn and drink water and Amanda Flynn and steroids. The guy, Shh, don't tell anybody that last part. <laughs> um, I feel so lucky that we got to chat with you. Me too. I watched your performances, Rich, quite literally hundreds of times, and literally every single time, you were incredible and brought so much joy to my life, every audience member's life through this role. I think it's hard to avoid the conversation while Rich, you don't have to worry about spoilers because if someone's listening to episode 12 of how the yeah, they must, they must show know. yet, then that's wild. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> great. That's great. Um, Thank you for listening. I, I just want to spend the moment um, addressing the fact that obviously Rich has become a bi icon yes. because of the infamous line at the end of the show where Rich realizes... Quite literally, in that moment, that quite literally. By. Yes. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about the the fandom and the response you you've seen from that element? Yeah, uh, I can tell you that I had absolutely no idea that uh, I would become a bicon. So the kids are saying, uh, proud to wear the title. However, I am not actually bisexual myself, but I'm proud to be an ally and uh, hold that and play a character that was. Um, 
And uh, I don't know. It was. It's sort of something about his character that of all the things that happened to Rich in his story, <laughs> of every single thing, that is the thing that, that people latched onto, which I... I got to be real with you. I love it because I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming at all. I thought I was going to be that guy that you're like, oh, yeah, you're that jerk guy who, you know, he messes up. So we get to, I'm basically, you know, uh, Algernon or whatever. You know, you try the test out on him and he dies or something. But um, we all read that book. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's like uh, I'm so glad that at the end of it, he was celebrated. It was like, and every night, guys, I mean, Every single show, when I said, oh, my God, I'm totally by," there was uproarious cheering, applause every single night. It was a literal sh- show. It actually moment. stopped the show. Yeah. Like, I sang the Squip song, and I got applause. I say, oh, my God, I'm totally by," and it stops the show. There was a very big difference. Um, but I loved it, and it helped us. Uh, and it was just something that they added. You know, they had it at a, a Two River Theater, and they added it sort of like, Later on in the writing process, they thought it would be funny to add it in there and just like throw it in like, of course he's, of course he is, of course he is. That (laughs) makes total, I thought he was gay. So like, that's where I was first trying to guess because Joe said he was working on the ending when we were doing Two River Theater. He didn't tell me what it was. I was like, oh, Rich is totally going to be gay. Totally gay. That's what it is. I read that he's bi and I said, okay, that's a writer twist for sure. I could not read your brain. Um, but to me, it was just another thing, another thing in his story. It wasn't necessarily like this huge thing. And now, yeah, Bicon. Rich is a Bicon. I get all kinds of, uh, I get tagged on like Pride Day and all kinds of like cool artwork for that, that people do of Rich wearing the Pride flag or Pride colors. And um, I think it's great because I don't, I don't think bi representation really exists in musical theater. And when it does, it's really over-sexualized. Um, it's not just a person who is dealing with everyday life and, uh, there's definitely bisexuals all over the place. So why aren't they represented in musical theater and why isn't it as understated and normal as it is in Be More Chill? Uh, just one of the many things that I loved about it. It also allowed me to get a, uh, have a nice little relationship on stage with George Salazar and try to, uh, get to him at the end of the musical. Um, that was a fun little thing that we had cause we were very close friends during the run of the show. So it was like. It all, once again, just felt very kismet. Just the writing of it, the whole coming together, everyone cast in it, all of it was very kismet. I love it. I just wanted to go back really quick also to your parents. Who yeah. Every time they would arrive at the theater, I just I saw them today. so excited. And eventually I got them to start being excited to see me too. I like worked oh, up a relationship with them. And then we would say, yes, I'm so glad you all are here. Um, I would imagine that there's no world in which they weren't the most incredible supportive parents ever. Getting you into Les Mis... Yeah. Uh, when you're eight years old in the National Commercial all the way through Be More Chill on Broadway coming so many times to see you. Yep. I mean, you pretty much nailed it, man. There, There's not much I can say that's wrong with my, my family, uh, which is something that I have been so proud to say my entire life. Uh, they've been the backbone of why I do what I do. Uh, I would not be a professional actor if my parents did not drive me into New York and believe in what I did. And they have not stopped believing. They drove in today because they wanted to see me before I go on my little tour for two weeks and, like, see my new dog because I got a dog. But they just came in, had some lunch at the apartment. We caught up um, that, and because they live in New Jersey, so they're about an hour away. And uh, that's the kind of people they are. You know, they, they, it's, it's no skin off their back. They want to support me. I'm their only kid. So it's like they, they, will, they will literally live vicariously through me. They're both retired. They don't have any other things to do. So anytime there's a show or a thing or a gala or a gig, they can go now because they're retired. It's very fun. But it was stressful in the beginning. You know, they, had, they, had, they, worked, uh, they were both teachers. 
and I was going to school full time. So they did have to work all day. One of them picked me up at school. We would drive in in rush hour traffic, whatever uh, time of day, Fridays, Saturdays, those were not fun days to be driving in and out of New York. Uh, But they did it for years and years and years until I was about 17. So they did it for almost 10 years. And then I finally was doing it on my own. And then I finally got a place here because it just makes way more sense. But um, yeah, I, I owe my entire my entire career to those guys for sure. Love the Canonicas. I love them too. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. This yeah. was a treat and a half. I'm it so glad great. we got you before the tour. Me too. We have a quick question for you Ask away. before you go. Yes. It's just a little, did you ever do Mad Libs? It's kind of like that. Yeah. But it's, um, it's just a fill in the blank and answer this question, if okay. you don't mind. Unless is there anything else you want to ask nope, before this? Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Be More Chill is? Hmm. Revolutionary. Gerard Canonica, thanks for joining us. This has been episode 12 of How to Be More Chill. Yay. I can't wait for your 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 100th Broadway shows. Oh, I'll be boom. front and center for every single one. Yes. And you did tell us before we started, the number 12 is also, this was the 12th. Yes, this is the 12th Joe Iconis Christmas extravaganza that we just finished. So it's very, everything is kismet, guys. Everything That's is kismet. the word. Be More Chill is also kismet. Yes. That's another word. Be More Chill is kismet. Yeah. Gerard, what an incredible conversation. Yeah. This was just so wonderful. Thank you so much for having we me. We love you. Yeah, love you too, guys. Come on. Come on. Go, go. Come on. Hey, you can find us on Instagram at How to Be More Chill. And one quick thing before we go could you go to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen on and just take a moment to rate and review us? We would really appreciate it. And do not forget. This is Alana. This is Sam. Tell us how to be more chill. Never hung with a girl like you before. I don't know if you know it, but I am sure that for me you are an upgrade. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.